Hello, and welcome back to another episode of What Gets Captured on Film. This is episode 12. I am your host, Dylan Paulson, and if you are new here, this is a show all about movies and movie news. The aim is to give you as much, if not all, of the movie news that you'll need in a week um, in one convenient podcast. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much the rundown. This week we'll get into any news that happened between the dates of December 15th and December 21st, um, and new this week, um, actually last week, but um, I'll announce it again on the show, is that I have um, a Gmail here that if you want to write into the show, I'll read your inquiry on the air, and we can have some sort of discussion uh, through through the podcast. If you want to tell me I'm wrong, tell me off, uh, ask a question, um, talk about a movie that you like, or maybe something that I didn't cover in the show. Maybe there's something I missed. All of that, write in. It's free, you know, to to just write in. Just email me. What gets captured at gmail.com, and you can write in. I'll read your inquiry on the air, and um, and respond to your uh, in, to respond to your inquiry live here. So, uh, that's that. Um. Again, if you're new here, I'm just going to give a brief little rundown of what the show is. We'll go into some smaller news stories up top. I'll get into what I've watched this past week. And then we can talk about the biggest news stories that happened this week. I'll watch a few trailers and then a wrap-up of... uh, I'll just rattle off some smaller news stories that don't really need any discussion. And then we'll go over what is new in theaters this week. Uh, this upcoming weekend, I mean. So, so right. Let's just get into, um, you know, first things first. Let's get just get into the box office wrap up from last week. Number one from last week. No surprise here. I'm sure, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know what is the number one movie of this past weekend. Spider-Man: No Way Home, two hundred and sixty million dollars, um, from IMDb Pro Box Office Mojo. And then a huge gap, and then number two, Disney's Encanto, with about $6.5 million. So huge gap there. Obviously, Spider-Man is going to be number one. Um, I don't think that there was any, you know, the, the any inclination otherwise. The marketing for that movie was incredible. I saw it everywhere, and I don't even think that it was just because, you know, I, I do get a lot of targeted marketing. I get a lot of movie trailers and movie ads that pop up on my on my various web browsing apps. Um, it's because they're all listening to me when I record this podcast. Are you listening, Google? No, it's just because, yeah, I mean, that's probably why. And I do a lot of research for the show, so I go to a lot of links. But, um, li- you know, links to web pages that have different types of, uh, you know, movies, entertainment news. So I do get a lot of that target marketing, but it, it seemed more than that. I was hearing it on the radio. Um you know, seeing some things on uh, on Hulu ad-free version or the ad version, Hulu commercials and and whatnot. I mean that the I, I just saw this movie everywhere. So and you know there there's that big nostalgia play to. Well, we'll talk about this movie later. I did go and see it, so I'll have something to say about it in a little bit. So let's get through the rest of this wrap up. So number two, Disney's Encanto. Number three, West Side Story with three and a half million dollars. Um, just to check in with West Side Story, it's been on, been uh, two weeks since it released, had its major release, and it's up to $18 million, which is, I mean, that is 
such a shame for Steven Spielberg coming back and returning to to uh, to movies and 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 making a musical and that's just such a shame that movie that's I don't know what the budget is but I can only imagine that that's a huge flop um, but number four is Ghostbusters Afterlife staying up there 3.4 million dollars uh, for a total gross so far of 117 million dollars which is huge for that movie that's exactly what they wanted uh, number five, Nightmare Alley, which also premiered this past week in half as many theaters, it looks like, as Spider-Man No Way Home, but $2.8 million. Uh, so Spider-Man No Way Home, 4,000 theaters, just over 4,000 theaters. That is um, huge. That's a huge opening. Um, but to say that Nightmare Alley, you know, 2,000 theaters is nothing to shy at. Uh, you know, that 2,000 theaters is... Um, you know, there's going to be a theater in your area that that's playing the movie, but 4,000 theaters, Spider-Man No Way Home, that is, that's nearly full capacity. That's nearly every theater in America, I, ha- I would have to imagine. Um, yep, and then uh, number seven is um, this movie I haven't even heard of, but it was new this week. I'm going to uh, look at the IMDb p- DB page. It, um, this might be a Bollywood pick. It's called Pushpa the Rise, part one. Um million. Pretty interesting. Only in 400 theaters, so that's pretty big. Um, But yeah, and then uh, number eight, Eternals. Number nine, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Number 10, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. So, well, Resident Evil, or Clifford the Big Red Dog, we'll go with Eternals. Eternals first, number eight, $163 million total so far. Number nine, Clifford the Big Red Dog, $48.5 million. Number 10, Resident Evil, $16.7 million total gross. So that's um, you know, year to date since the movie's been released in theaters, what its total gross is. And again, gross is not profit. Gross is how much the movie made. You know, uh, it, that's not what the production studio is going to take home. But um, people like the actors and the crew and potentially the director and the writers, they've already been paid. But if an actor in a big movie such as Spider-Man has a stake in um, this is all contractually obligated to, and it varies so much. Um, but if an actor, say, has a stake in the box office, uh, box office gross, then they'll get a percentage of whatever the profit is after the studio gets paid. So whatever the budget is for a movie, Spider-Man: No Way Home, probably two hundred fifty million dollar budget, maybe more. On top of that, you're going to have a minimum, you know, $20 million ad campaign. Spider-Man No Way Home probably had 80 to $90 million ad campaign. It was huge. So $260 million. The movie didn't break even yet, but it probably will. Um, so $260 million uh, is, um, amongst a few other records that it broke. There's always some sort of record to be broken, but I think this is worth noting is that the third biggest opening weekend of all time behind Inven- Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. But that, that I will say, that is not adjusted for inflation. That is, you know, in in uh, real dollars, not um, not nominal dollars. So that that is, um, you know, two hundred fifty three million dollars. But adjusted for inflation, the highest grossing movie of all time is still Gone with the Wind. If it's adjusted for inflation, but when it's not adjusted for inflation, that's when you have these newer movies starting to pop up, like um, like Avatar is still like always up up there. Star Wars: The Force Awakens, 
Um, but but when you don't adjust for inflation, going with the wind is like going to be number one. I probably forever. I, I doubt. I mean, since 1939, I doubt that movie's going to get pushed away from that spot. But you know, either way, Spider-Man, huge, huge opening. That's all there really is to say about that. Huge opening, third biggest opening weekend of all time, not adjusted for inflation. Cool. So uh, next little piece of news is that uh, Uncharted got its first movie poster, which is kind of odd because the trailer came out like a month ago and I covered it on this show. Um, I think I actually named an episode after it too. I think it's called Uncharted. But uh, yeah, here's this. So this poster has uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in the forefront. And then there's some sort of sinking ship in the background. Um, A lot of people are kind of like shitting on this trailer and um, to be honest, or this poster, sorry. And to be honest, I don't, really know why. I thought the trailer was, you know, kind of hit or miss. I think the movie could really go either way, but I'm not, (laughs) I don't have high hopes for it. But this poster, I don't really see anything wrong with it. You know, we've seen already that Mark Wahlberg doesn't look like Nathan Drake. We know that, you know, and this poster is just kind of reiterating it, but you know, we know that. So at a certain point, that's got to get pushed aside. We we know what's coming what's coming in the movie, so let's let's you know treat it as if it's a new property. You know we we uh, you know I've played Uncharted. I know what Uncharted is. This clearly isn't doing that. So let's just see what you know what we can get out of this. Maybe we can get some sort of entertainment out of it. Um, Tom Holland looks like a young Nathan Drake, and Mark Wahlberg doesn't look like solely at all but you know that's fine he's Mark Wahlberg he's not he's not a CG rendered old man with a mustache he's just not that guy so so that's all I wanted to say about that if you don't care about Uncharted then don't worry about it because the movie's not gonna probably be good it's probably not gonna make that much money it's probably you know people forget about it in a few years so I you know probably don't worry about it um yeah based on a video game the Sony PlayStation um quadrilogy of games it used to be three but then there's four and then four and then a dlc on the on the fourth one it, they're all good but um like real cream of the crop games but uh yeah so yeah interesting well i'll cover that more as as that progresses we might get another trailer we might not comes out in february february um 18th i think so more on that later Next up is the Annie Awards uh, got their nominations announced. The show is on January 25th, 2022. And the Annie Awards celebrate the best achievements in animation and animation technology. And the I'm only going to read the best uh, features for those, which is the highest award. That's the equivalent of the best picture for the Annie Awards. The best feature nominees are Disney's Encanto, uh, Ayuka, Mitchell and the Machines, or sorry, Mitchell versus the Machines. I hear that's a great movie. Raya and the Last Dragon and Sing Two. So if you're looking for some sort of uh, family movie this uh, you know over Christmas break and you haven't seen one of these movies, it's probably it. That's probably um you know either of those are probably you probably wind up enjoying with with your kids. So that's it. That's all I wanted to bring up at the top of the show. Uh, but we still have more news. But before we get into the biggest news stories, I wanted to talk about the things that I've been watching this week. And I will talk about a big movie this week. I've already teased it. But um, first things first, before I watch a little 
movie about a spider. I watched a documentary about the, uh, well, it was called uh, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. And I didn't know what to think about this while I was watching it because the pacing is odd. Um, It is a little slow, but it made me ask the question to myself, And I don't usually watch documentaries, so this was kind of an exercise, and I don't think I've covered a documentary on the show yet, so this was kind of an exercise in um, questioning what documentaries' purposes are, right? Because they're, in essence, they're not supposed to be a written story. We're supposed to be, the audience is there along for the ride as the story progresses, but there has to be some sort of entertainment, entertaining, you know, value proposition. Because otherwise, we're just going to watch a guy, you know, take money out of an ATM, drive to work, you know, play with the radio, cook dinner. You know, that stuff isn't, if there's no story there along, you know, with that visual, then there's no point in watching the documentary. But, so, so so where was I going with this? So the, this documentary is a little slow, but I f- still find it interesting. I think it's long. I think it's quite long, um, and I think it could be a little shorter. And I think that there are certain moments in uh, Billie Eilish's life and career that could have and should have been made out to be more dramatic in the documentary. Not Not in the sense of like, Oh, wow, look at, you know, I, I don't know, like, I don't know, just moments in her life that um, could have, there could have been more leading up to it so that when we got to this moment, right, or these moments that there, it felt like more of a payoff as opposed to, oh, wow, it's just a, it's just a day, you know, except, except it's Billy's birthday today. Woo. You know, she's 19. You know, it's not, it, you know, it's. But, you know, at the same time, I could be thinking to myself, you know, maybe that was the point. Maybe they just wanted it to appear as though it was just the daily life of of this girl that also just so happens to be the biggest star in the world. And I think there was some, there is definitely something to say about that, that, um, you know, we have artists like Kanye West that will put out an album every every few years and they go into the studio for months on end with hundreds of artists and producers that touch this record and hear this record and and will contribute, right? But then we have Billie Eilish, who comes out of nowhere a few years ago and dominates the Grammys and the Billboard charts with, with, a, with this record. And we see, through this documentary, we see some of how that record is made, and it is just Billie and her brother Phineas in their bedroom in their childhood house, just making beats on a computer. And they sing into a microphone on, on the bed. You know, it's it's very it's a very intimate sort of um, recording session. As opposed to, you know, if you ever see a YouTube video or anything of Kanye West just busting into the studio, there's like 40 people there in the in the in the studio and and you know it's just not like that. So to, that is probably the most interesting part of this whole thing for me is to see how this girl who has this um, 
very intimate, family-oriented life become the biggest star in the world and have to deal with the things that aren't so family-oriented and aren't so intimate, right? Like signing shirts, meeting fans, playing, um, you know, playing shows where something goes wrong, you know, going to the Grammys, uh, doing interviews. It's very interesting. And I, I am enjoying the amount of media that is coming out or that centers around, um, artists or just, you know, entertainers in general, artists, actors, whoever, famous people. Cause I'm enjoying hearing their stories because up until recently, we didn't really have a good representation of what it was like to be famous and how difficult that is. And especially to be famous at such a young age. And I, I think that that's novel to, to have that representation somewhere. Because now you'll see almost everyone has some sort of output, right? You know, that's a, that's a hyperbole. But see how many people are famous on TikTok and Instagram influencers and everyone has a podcast that they like to listen to. You should recommend this one. And, you know, we just have so many creators, so many YouTubers, you know, let's players, you know, everyone knows someone that is famous to them and to have some sort of relatable media that is, you know, easily obtainable, attainable, not obtainable. That is easily attainable and relatable, I think I might have said that already, is novel and and useful for these, you know, because we have, you know, two, three, four times as many famous people as we did, you know, in, in you know, in our societal culture or whatever. I'm kind of talking, you know, this is all like a little philosophical of a, of a conversation to have around this documentary, but I think it's warranted. Um, and I just think that the, the, that's all really all I have to say about it. I mean, you can tell I'm thinking about this movie a lot after I watched it um, and the necessity that it was made in um, or how necessary it is to have been made. I, but other than that, you know, the only negative thing I can really say is that I think it wasn't paced very well. And I think the end is um, a little anticlimactic. It's like, Ooh, and then it just kind of ends. Um, yeah. So that's it. Pacing a little odd, but um, yeah. If you're interested in Billie Eilish or you're interested in uh, artists or you're interested in music, music production, or if you just like a good documentary, I think it's worth it. I watched this on Apple TV Plus. I have the, um, I got a new phone recently a few months ago and it came with six free months of Apple TV Plus. So I'm still, still riding that wave. Um, so yeah. So, okay. That's it for that one. The next one, this little movie about a spider, Spider-Man No Way Home. I watched it last night in the theater at a good crowd. Theater wasn't fully packed. Um, but I had a good crowd, a very responsive crowd, which was nice. Um, I hate going to the theater when, you know, there's like four other people there and, you know, the jokes just kind of fall flat. People are coughing or people are on their phones and it just wasn't like that. It was a good theater, good amount of people, good crowd. The movie, I, I am so torn on how I feel about this and I can't necessarily make anyone happy with whatever I'm going to say about this movie. 
So I'm just not going to try to make people happy. I'm just going to say what I think about it. And what I think about it is that point blank, um, when I walked out of the theater, I really liked it. And, um, but as I walked away and thought about it more, the less and less I liked it. And I think there's a very good reason for that. The movie, and this is spoiler free, by the way, I'm not going to spoil anything just yet. If I feel the need during this conversation to spoil something, I will announce it very clearly and give you plenty of time to leave. This is a spoiler-free review. But um, the movie preys on nostalgia. You know, you can see in the trailer there are some familiar villains that are back, right? So, and I think that seeing those familiar characters made me feel happily nostalgic for films I had seen in the past. And, but I think that as I walked away from the film, I realized that nothing there was, was warranted and nothing was, none of those characters coming back was really, you know, really contributed emotionally to Tom Holland's growth as Peter Parker. You know, because the movie comes out comes off of uh, Far From Home, which I didn't even see, by the way. Um, disclaimer. But I don't think it's necessary. In that, at the end of the movie, his identity is revealed. So he, you know, wants to feel like a kid again and can't relate to a lot of people. And... Um, and having these, a good villain, right, is supposed to be the um, the opposite of whatever the main character is. So that when the hero is battling the villain, or the protagonist is battling the antagonist, you know, physically or emotionally battling the antagonist, whatever flaws the protagonist has that they are trying to overcome, they see those flaws within the antagonist. The antagonist is supposed to be what the hero could turn into if those flaws, you know, grow into full character traits. And you can point that out with any movie. It doesn't have to be super movies, superhero movies. Any any movie is um that's that's what a good um protagonist antagonist battle looks like. It's that emotional um, dichotomy, right? Tom Holland here, well, first of all, there's no real one main villain. There's a, there's a myriad of a few familiar villains and they each have their own, you know, emotional, uh, journey that they're on, right? And we've seen it before in these other movies, right? We've seen what Doc Ock has gone through, and the Green Goblin. And they're all still on those journeys. They're stuck in those journeys, right? And those journeys were reflections of other characters. You know, Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2 was a reflection of, of Peter Parker back then. Green Goblin was a reflection of Peter Parker back then. So when you have these characters that come in, to Tom Holland's, uh, you know, Spider-Man universe. 
And they're on a different emotional journey than Tom Holland is on. It feels really out of place. But if it's possible for me personally to turn off my brain that says, you know, think critically about this. What is the writing doing here? What is the directing doing here? Are these characters warranted? Blah, blah, blah. If I turn that off and I just watch Doc Ock and Green Goblin and I just Alfred Molina, you know, uh, Willem Dafoe, if I just watch them and feel like I was a kid watching Spider-Man 1 and 2 in the theaters again as a kid. I remember I remember seeing both of those movies in the theater. Then that nostalgic wave kind of washes over me and I, I feel like a kid again. And that feeling is not something that comes from any movie, right? That is very special and very unique. And it's only something that could have been pulled off over years of time, right? I think about my my favorite movie of all time is Boyhood, right? And even though that's only one movie, because it was filmed over years, you almost feel nostalgic for the beginning of the movie by the time you get to the end of the movie. Um, and this movie, in a similar kind of way, preys on nostalgia. It's like, oh, remember this line from that movie you really liked? Remember this character? You know, remember this plot point from this movie that you really liked a long time ago when you were a kid? Remember that? And although it's cool and it does make you feel happy, it makes you feel like a kid, the crowd was, you know, cheering and responsive to to these lines and these action sequences with these characters. You know, it felt good to watch the movie in the moment. Um, you know, a lot of the character development and the emotion just, just didn't line up and it just didn't match. And there's a, there's not so much exploration, right? With, with these villains, cause you have so many of them. So it's ho- so difficult to get into any one. And this movie is just like any other you know, big Marvel movie in that it doesn't expect the audience or sorry, it does expect the audience to have the knowledge of the films that came before it. And I had a very similar experience watching this movie than I did to watching um, the Avengers, the first Avengers, the first time before I had seen the other lead up movies. I was like, wait, who is this character? Who are they referencing? Am I supposed to be understanding this? And then at a certain point, you know, an hour or two into the movie, you just kind of forget about, you just kind of like, ah, whatever, I'll just, you know. And then the plot just kind of doesn't even matter because, because you know, they're referencing things that, that you don't know if you're supposed to know or not. Am I supposed to be following this? And then you kind of turn your brain off and you're like, oh, okay. But the thing here is that it's okay. It, oh, so it's okay for the Avengers to do that, for Joss Whedon to have done that, then and for Avengers Endgame and Infinity War to do that with twenty other something movies with leading up when they all had their own individual characters and plot points and yada yada. That's okay because all of those. Well, I, to be honest, I don't think it's okay. I think it's a total sham, and I think it's a way to get money. And they did it, and they won. Whatever. But 
the reason why audiences accepted it was because those movies all came out three months after each other. Three months, another movie. Three months, another movie. Three months, another movie. Another reason for another person to get back in the seats, right? And see the next Marvel movie. See the next movie in the MCU, you know. You know, Ant-Man's coming out. Um, what else is there? I don't even know. Captain Marvel's coming out. You know, the new Avengers. Captain America, Civil War's coming out. Another reason to get back in the theater. So those movies, those 20-something movies in the lead-up to Infinity War and Endgame are all in the collective minds of the audience. But the thing is, with No Way Home, the Spider-Man movies that this movie is referencing and has the characters of, you know, the Alfred Molina, Willem Dafoe, those movies came out in 2001 and 2004, I think. So it's been a while since those movies were in the collective, you know, mindset of the audience. So even though I've seen those movies, especially Spider-Man 1 and 2, Spider-Man 3 I've seen a few, you know, less times, but Spider-Man 1 and 2 I've seen dozens of times, no exaggeration, dozens of times. I wore out the VHS tape. I put scratches on the DVD because I... Because I, you know, manhandled it too much. I've seen these movies so many times. And there were even times when I was like pausing at a line and I was like, am I supposed to, am I supposed to remember what that's in reference to? So just my question is, and this is a rhetorical question, is that who was this movie made for? Because I'm the age, right, that grew up with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies right? And I remember them, you know, as well as I thought I, as well as I could have remembered them. I watched Spider-Man 1 and 2 probably th earlier this year even. And there were lines that I'm like, what is that in reference to? And I have, a, I, any anyone that knows me personally will tell you I have a great memory. So I don't, so who, who is this movie made for? If I'm the person that doesn't understand what Alfred Molina is referencing, you know, I understand the power of the sun is in the palm of my hands. I understand, um, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself, but there are certain things where I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to remember that pause? You know, am I supposed to remember that? And, and it doesn't matter if I wound up being like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. Or yeah, that does ring a bell. You know, maybe maybe he did say that. Maybe that is a plot point. It doesn't matter because that brief moment that I was like, wait, is that for me? Completely took me out of the movie. And it completely broke any sense of believing that I had in this world of, of multiverses. Completely took me out for even if it's a split second... You know, that's a, that is a missed opportunity to have your audience engage with the film. You know, these movies, they, Marvel and Sony in this case as well, churn these movies out like clockwork. Hundreds of million dollars into these huge budget movies. And... They don't even really understand who the audience is. And the script is kind of a mess. And, you know, there's a... There is a... A point in the movie in which Tom Holland goes through um, an emotional change. Uh, for the worse. 
let's say. If you're watching the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And that scene is done horribly, poorly, incredibly poorly. It, it, it just, it's sloppy. You know, this is Marvel. This is the, this is supposed to be the cream of the crop of big budget studios. This is it. This is what, you know, attracts millions of audiences is this sloppy script work. You know, is this, not to say any of the performances were bad because none of them were, I don't think. Well, there is one notable performance in this movie that is um, is way off, I think. But I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about that because it would vastly spoil the movie. But um, yeah, there's definitely one performance that's way off, which and it almost makes me think. So when you try and do something like this, some sort of big nostalgic piece, and it winds up missing right, missing the mark, then that nostalgia that you aimed to achieve almost kind of tarnishes the original work. And that Spider-Man No Way Home almost got there for me, where it almost made me think negatively about the Raimi movies that I love so much, the holy grail of Spider-Man trilogy films. Almost made me get there, where I was like, Wow, is this is this what, you know, Alfred Molina, is this is this really what I remember? And no, it's not. It's just because it's just because the writing was a little sloppy. And not to say anything about bad about the writers because um I don't, you know, know them personally, but I've been following their career for years. They're writers that were on Community, staff writers on Community for years up through season 5. And, um, so I like their work, you know, this isn't anything bad about them as people. It's just, they were probably on a budget or not a budget. They were probably on a huge time crunch to get this hundred million dollar plus movie off the ground. And once you start production, you can't just stop to, you know, try and figure out what, you know, how would this script work and, you can't workshop it because once the production's moving, it is a train and it is going. It is on the tracks. It has left the station. It is gone. And um, and they, they that's probably it is they probably had a time crunch and couldn't figure out some of these finer details, which is a shame because I think they really could have had something really, really special. Um, but instead, what I think we ultimately wound up getting, so here's like my... You know, that was just a big ramble of, of of a bunch of thoughts. But here's ultimately what I wound up thinking about this movie, and now I'm 24 hours removed from seeing it, is that the movie is enjoyable to watch if you turn your brain off and just want to feel nostalgic about some Spider-Man movies, right? But if you go into it like I did with any sort of hope that there's going to be some sort of warranted character growth, character development, like there was in the Raimi movies, like there is in the Spider-Verse film. This is not it. And that's pretty much all I have to say about that. So ultimately, what did I think about it? Good. Really good, even. I really enjoyed it. But is it, you know, an Oscar-winning, higher-tier film that, you know, is gonna, I don't, 
I hate saying, like, gonna win awards, you know? I hate equating, like, that only Oscar movies can be good. Because it's not true. But is this a movie that pushes the medium that, um, you know, that is, you know, the best script of the year? You know, pushes what a script can be, what a film can be, the emotions that it can draw from you? Not really. Not really. No, there are other movies that have made me feel nostalgic that have done it better. There are other movies that have made me happy that have done it better, made me sad that have done it better. There are other superhero movies that have done, done, you know, maybe not this, but um, done character development better. So what do I think about it? I think it's incredibly, incredibly overhyped. I think the marketing budget did wonders for this film. Um, but ultimately, I think the marketing was too much. And if maybe if there was a little less marketing, um, a little less hype, that I would have gone in and maybe enjoyed it a little more because my expectations would have been a little lower. I didn't even talk about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie. Um, he's fine. It's fine. But just like knowing some things that I know coming out of the previous Avengers movies about him and like his strength as a character and how he is a, um, you know, his will as a, as a person. I just don't, I, I, some of the decisions that Dr. Strange is making in this film, I'm just not following. And I think that's kind of what you walk into when you have so many movies about so many characters is that a lot of, intricate little things get lost in the mix. Why is this character making this decision if he didn't make a decision that, you know, the other, you know, in that other movie, you know, because I know him as this type of character, but in this movie, he's being this type of character. It doesn't make sense. In film, we have rules about, you know, you only have so limited time to tell a story and to garner emotions. And, um, and this movie had, 20 plus years to to garner emotions and I think that it was a missed opportunity when I really think about it but if I don't think about it that much I wind up enjoying it a little more so maybe you just don't think about it okay that's that I rambled a lot um, let's get into the news other than that I've been watching Seinfeld and Ozark it's not even really worth talking about I only watched one episode of Ozark so that's it um yeah, let's get into the news. Really not a lot to talk about. It's such a slow news week. So uh, just a few trailers we got to get through. So let's um, let's do that first. So, okay, number one, biggest story of the week most likely is upcoming film The Northman from critically acclaimed and beloved new director Robert Eggers released its first trailer this week via Focus Features' official YouTube channel. According to the video's description, the film is, quote, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. End quote. The film stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, uh, Clay Spang, uh, not sure if I pronounced that name correctly, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Bjork, and Willem Dafoe. Robert Eggers is directing the film and co-writing it alongside up-and-coming Icelandic writer Sjön, uh, who is known for writing Lamb, which premiered earlier this year. Eggers is known for writing and directing The Witch and The Lighthouse, two indie psychological horror films that have garnered small but strong followings. The Northman will premiere in theaters on April 22nd, 2022. This was definitely um, 
you know, a big story and a lot of people were uh, pointing this out to me and um, seems cool. I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, I'll pause this, give me my thoughts and I'll be right back. The movie seems really interesting. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, the I'm not too drawn into the story. Um, not for any other reason other than it's just been done before. It's a, it's a revenge tale. Um, but the reason why a lot of people keep doing revenge tales is because there can be a lot of emotion involved with them. You know, you see something happen at the beginning and by the end you see that uh, that action get resurrected or avenged in the, you know, in this case. So, um, you know, that the, whatever actions the character has to take is easily warranted because you saw, you know, the death of X or whatever you saw, um, you know, something like that at the beginning. So a revenge tale is always, always has a lot of emotions. And, but I'm, so I'm not, you know, nothing draws me in beyond that of being like, wow, what a unique story because it's not, it's just an interesting, you know, time period, uh, for most people. It's hard for me to get into, uh, you know, I don't know what time period this is. I'm not some sort of history buff, uh, you know, some sort of world cultures history buff, but it seems like, um, you know, I don't know. I can't even put a year to it. I can't even put it. It's just the production design looks interesting, but this type of, film is kind of difficult for me to grasp onto. Um, but I will say I watched, uh, you know, Robert Eggers. I, he's great from what I, I only saw the witch. He also did the lighthouse with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson loved the witch. That was, uh, one of Anya Taylor joy's first movies, if not her first film. Uh, it's like a slow burn horror film that takes place in, um, what I think is like 1600s America. Um, in, uh, you know, people are just, you know, doing their farm thing and stuff. And, uh, that movie is pretty dark, pretty, um, it was, it was an interesting watch for sure. Um, but I've heard the lighthouse is great. It's on Amazon. It's on my short list of films that I want to watch soon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, it looks cool. I, my, there was a moment in the trailer when, uh, there's like a, a spear that's coming at the main character and he grabs it out of the air and just throws it right back at the sender that, um, had my jaw drop. So pretty interesting. So, I mean, that's really all I can say is that, um, the story doesn't seem too unique. Revenge tale, um, time period could be interesting. Um, and that's pretty much it. Looking forward to it. Robert Eggers is great. A lot of people get, you know, can get excited about, um, I don't know, uh, you know, someone's name, but I, all I was wanted to say is that someone's name doesn't really mean the movie's going to be good. It just, people can get excited about a name. I get excited about a name, but, um, you know, Eggers could be cool. So, you know, it's all I can really say about that until we have more, but, um, yeah, that's it. So, uh, number two, this was also a pretty big story. Uh, Denis Villeneuve has his eyes set on his next venture. The Hollywood Reporter reports that the visionary director will tackle Rendezvous with Rama, the 1973 British sci-fi novel from Arthur C. Clarke, about a massive cylindrical alien starship that enters our galaxy in the 2130s. The film will be produced by Alcon Entertainment, which helped finance Prisoners and Blade Runner 2049. Morgan Freeman and Laurie McCreary will also produce, as they have held the rights to the novel since the early 2000s. No cast, co-writer, production start date, or release date has been announced at this time. However, we can assume if Dune Part 2 releases as planned on October 23rd, 2023, 
We likely won't see this film for another 18 months to two years after that. We will keep you updated as this story progresses. And that was it. Uh, so yeah, Denis Villeneuve, according to The Hollywood Reporter, has um, is interested in working with Alcon Entertainment again in adapting Rendezvous with Rama, which is, um, you know, uh, another sci-fi novel, another very well-revered sci-fi novel. I think Villeneuve likes the space that he's in. I think that it's kind of a safe pick for him to do another novel. Um, but this movie, or this book rather, from what I was reading of it, um, I haven't read the book, seems pretty similar to what, you know, the story that he was doing with Arrival, although Arrival was just incredibly unique. Um, so... I don't know. I just with a lot a lot of visionary directors like Villeneuve and Nolan is another one that I think they pick their movies based around what they think they can do visually interesting. So uh, this this book Rendezvous with Rama is about um, like I said in the story this huge cylindrical alien ship that enters the galaxy. Um, and there are images online of what you, of what are, you know, artists renderings of what this thing could look like or, you know, would look like based on descriptions in the novel. And I think that this, like a, what, you know, a visual representation of this on film would look crazy cool. And that's what excited me the most about this announcement. And that's all I wanted to say. You know, there's, yeah, that's it. That's it. It's really all I can say about that. Interested to, to learn more about the cast and the production start date, who's writing it, probably Villeneuve, but, you know, etc. We'll update as that progresses. So, um, yeah, number three, uh, Paramount Pictures released a new trailer for the upcoming action comedy, The Lost City, this week via their official YouTube channel. The video's lengthy description describes the film in detail, quote, Brilliant but reclusive author Loretta Sage has spent her career writing about exotic places in her popular romance-adventure novels featuring handsome cover model Alan, who has, who has dedicated his life to embodying the hero character Dash. While on tour promoting her new book with Alan, Loretta is kidnapped by an eccentric billionaire who hopes that she can lead him to the ancient Lost City's treasures from her latest story. Wanting to prove that he can be a hero in real life and not just on the pages of her books, Alan sets off to rescue her. Thrust into an epic jungle adventure, the unlikely pair will work... Uh, will need to work together to survive the elements and find the ancient treasure before it's lost forever, end quote. The film stars Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, Daniel Radcliffe, and Channing Tatum. The film was written and directed by Aaron and Adam Nee, relatively unknown professionals, and is co-written co by Oren Uziel, who is known for writing films such as 22 Jump Street, The Cloverfield Paradox, and Mortal Kombat. Expect the film in theaters on March 22nd, 2022. Um, same thing, haven't seen this one yet. Interesting cast. I love Daniel Radcliffe. Um, so uh, I will be right back. That trailer was a complete mixed bag, and I have no idea how to feel about it. Um, I Yeah, I, I don't even know. It started with this uh, very interesting visual representation of how um, an artist writes a novel. I thought that that could be its own really interesting uh, movie in itself. Um yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what to think about it. it I, the cast looks great. I just feel like it's going to be um, like a big budget comedy that has uh, way too many jokes that go on for too long. So um, 
So, so yeah, that's my hope is that, you know, keep the bits short, you know, keep the laughs coming. Uh, you know, these people, all these actors are great and you know, they're all really funny and, and talented. So let's, uh, let's hope that that can, uh, you know, stay, but I don't know. Interesting release date, March 22nd. They're going for a, you know, a late spring, uh, or late. Yeah. Early spring release. So we'll see if that can hit. Um, so yeah. All right. That's it. Moving on. Number four, Amazon released the first trailer for a new romantic comedy, I Want You Back. The film is about Charlie Day and Jenny Slate that portray characters who, quote, thought they were on the precipice of life's biggest moments, marriage, kids, and houses in the suburbs, until their respective partners dumped them, horrified to learn that the loves of their lives have already moved on. Peter and Emma hatch a hilarious plan to win back their exes and with unexpected results, end quote. The film is written by Isaac Aptaker uh, and Elizabeth Berger, who are both known for being series writers for shows, including uh, Grandfathered and This Is Us. The film was directed by Jason Orley, who recently helmed the Hulu original, the Hulu original Pete Davidson starring film Big Time Adolescence. Charlie Day and Jenny Slate are two heavy-hitting comedy stars. Day, known for writing, producing, and acting in the long-running FX comedy It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Slate, known for roles in film and TV such as Obvious Child, Zootopia, The Secret Life of Pets, and as Mona Lisa Saperstein in the beloved NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. I Want You Back is slated for release on Amazon Prime on the at the date, February 11th, 2022. Again, same deal. Haven't seen this trailer yet, so... Interested to watch it. I love both Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, so I'll be right back. Again, not really sure what to think about that one either. Um, like I said, Charlie Day, Jenny Slate could be great uh, with their chemistry together, the comedic chemistry. But if ultimately, if that with with these type of buddy comedy movies, if their chemistry isn't you know top tier, top notch, and the whole movie's gonna fall flat, um, because that's what the movies what the movie rides on. It's not, you know, you don't watch this movie for, um, for, you know, some sort of great America or character growth, character development. Although it's nice. And that definitely takes the movie to the next level, some sort of top tier upper level, um, you know, romantic comedy, but, um, I, you know, I'm not necessarily seeing that here, uh, you know, upper level, uh, romantic comedy, but it could be, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, this is us writers could be, you know, it could be great. Even this movie could, you know, come out and surprise everyone and be some sort of, uh, you know, February 11th is the date. It could be some sort of, um, you know, hit end of winter, you know, streaming movie. This could come out of nowhere and be great. So, um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not seeing anything that makes it seem like this movie is going to be spectacular. And if there was something in the movie that made it seem like it was going to be spectacular and be this hit film, um, they should have advertised it in the trailer. Um, I think this is that's probably all we'll see of the movie until it comes out. Maybe you know some other short um, bits and pieces of trailers, commercials, and whatever. But I think that's pretty much all we'll see about it. So um, you know when it comes out, and unless there's some sort of marketing around it, I probably won't see it. Um, even though it's on Amazon, I probably you know there are movies on Amazon that I still want to see that I haven't seen. So um, that are out now. So. Um, so yeah, that's that. Even though I love Charlie Day and Jenny Slate, like I've said multiple times already. So yeah, that's it. That's all the, um, big news stories that, uh, deserved any sort of big sort of, uh, fanfare writing stories about them, open-ended discussion. Uh, so now this part of the show is just, we rattle off some, uh, 
you know, lower level news stories that are worth mentioning, but not necessarily worth discussing. So here we go. Variety reports that Ben Schwartz joins Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage in Universal's Renfield. Deadline reports that an upcoming crime drama alone today will star Danny Trejo, Shannon Elizabeth, and Frank Whaley. Deadline reports that uh, Chaley Rose, Pete uh, Plaszczyk, and Heather Morris are set to star in indie drama The Bodyguard. Deadline reports that uh, producer Freddie Wexler bought the life rights of Keith Adams, the coach of an all-deaf football team that competed in the California State Championship. HBO announces... The date that Steven Soderbergh's upcoming killer, Kimmy, will stream on HBO Max, February 10th. Deadline reports that upcoming Regina King-helmed film, Shirley, will go to Netflix as it adds Lance Reddick, Lucas Hedges, Andre Holland, Terrence Howard, Christina Jackson, Michael Cherry, Dorian Misick, uh, Myra Van, uh, W. Earl Brown, and Ethan Jones Romero to its cast. Deadline reports that Lyle Lyle Crocodile film adds... Scoot McNary to its cast of Javier Bardem and Constance Wu. Deadline reports that Canadian hockey player Jordan Tutu is getting his own documentary titled Tutu in 2022. That's a tongue twister. Deadline reports that Netflix's Rustin adds Jeffrey Wright and uh, Grantham Coleman to its cast. Deadline reports that upcoming comedy The Other Zoe adds Andy McDowell, Heather Graham, and Patrick Fabian to its cast. Sony Pictures announced the release date for upcoming Roger uh, Roger Mitchell film The Duke as March 25th, 2022. Deadline reports that Apple is developing a documentary exploring the history of James Bond original music for the films. Deadline reports that Daisy Ridley is set to star and produce an indie film Sometimes I Think About Dying with Richard Lambert directing. Deadline reports that 1917 writer-director Sam Mendes is working on a new film with Colin Firth, Toby Jones, Crystal Clark, Tanya Moody, Olivia Coleman, and Michael Ward called Empire of Light. Uh, that would have been a story, but there's just nothing else really to talk about. There's no uh, synopsis of the film or anything like that. There's just really nothing to talk about there. Uh, Deadline reports that Suge Knight's life rights have been acquired to make a motion picture with Nick Cassavetes and Anthony Thorne writing the script. And that is all the news. So, with that being said, let's get into the movies that are coming to theaters this weekend. Uh, the first big movie is The Matrix Resurrection. Resurrections. Return to a world of two realities. One, everyday life. The other, what lies behind it. To find out if reality, if his reality is a construct, to truly know himself, Mr. Anderson will have to choose to follow the White Rabbit once more. Directed by Lena Wachowski, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Yahya Abdul II, and Jonathan Groff. Next up, The King's Man. This movie has a huge marketing budget, too. In the early years of the 20th century, the Kingsman Agency is forced to stand against the cabal, plotting a war to wipe out millions. Directed by Matthew Vaughn, starring Ralph Fiennes, Gemma Arterton, Reese Fans, and Harris Dickinson. Next up, The Tragedy of Macbeth. Not a lot of fanfare for this movie, even though the director is quite well known. A Scottish lord becomes convinced by a trio of witches that he will become the next king of Scotland, and his ambitious wife supports him in his plans of seizing power. Directed by Joel Cohen, starring Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, Alex Hassel, and uh, Bertie Carvel. Next up, Sing 2. Buster Moon and his friends must persuade reclusive rock star Clay Calloway to join them for the opening of a new show. Directed by Garth Jennings, starring Matthew McConaughey, Reese Witherspoon, Scarlett Johansson, and Tori Kelly. A Journal for Jordan. First Sergeant Charles Monroe King, 
before he is killed in action in Baghdad, authors a journal for his son intended to tell him how to live a decent life despite growing up without a father. Directed by Denzel Washington, starring Michael B. Jordan, Tamara Tooney, Chante Adams, and Robert Wis- Robert Wisdom. I thought I read that name wrong, but it is Wisdom. American Underdog, the story of NFL MVP and Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, who went from stocking shelves at a supermarket to becoming an American football star. Directed by Andrew Irwin and John Irwin, starring Zachary Levy, Anna Paquin, Hayden Zoller, and a name I can't pronounce, so I won't try butchering it. So that's all the movies coming to theaters, but there were also two big movies coming to streaming this week. One is out today. The other is out um, on Christmas Eve. Excuse me. Don't Look Up comes to Netflix on Christmas Eve. Two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. Directed by Adam McKay, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett, and Jonah Hill. Sorry, Kate. Cat Blanchett. (laughs) What am I doing? And uh, next up, this one comes out today. If I had more time before the show, I I usually like to record the show early in the day, but otherwise I would have watched it. Um, Being the Ricardos is out today on Amazon Prime. Follows Lucy and Desi as they face a crisis that could end their careers and another that could end their marriage. Directed by Aaron Sorkin, starring Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, Nina Ariadna, and J.K. Simmons. And that is everything I have for you this week. So... What recommendation could I give for you to watch? I don't know. I don't know anything about the tragedy of Macbeth. I haven't heard anything about it. I haven't seen anything about it. Probably a trailer came out that I totally missed, which I feel really bad about. I've been trying to cover as many things as possible. Uh, The King's Man seems interesting. Matrix Resurrections reviews came out today. I think it has like a 65 on Metacritic. You know, not too bad. Could be good for some, uh, you know, some family fun. Not, you know, not for the kids, but, you know. Some fun, uh, if you know, if you want to watch a movie over Christmas. Don't Look Up is definitely the film to look out for on Netflix. That movie's going to be huge. Uh, being the Ricardos, I'm surprised there wasn't too much fanfare. I didn't even know it came out until I looked it up. I was like, wait, isn't that movie coming soon? And it is. It came out today. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, hopefully for next week, I'll, be, I'll have seen Don't Look Up and being the Ricardos. And um, I'm probably not going to go to the theaters this week. So no Matrix for you or The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, even a journal for Jordan had a, had a something come out recently that I thought looked interesting, but yeah, no, that's it. That's it for me. That's it for the show. Um, you know, the world's being crazy out there with COVID and the Omicron and hope everyone's just staying safe out there. Stay safe for, uh, Christmas. Hope everyone can have some, you know, nice, safe holiday time with, uh, with their loved ones. So you know, that's it for me. I'm Dylan Paulson. This was What Gets Captured on Film. If you heard anything during the show that I was either wrong about or you want to tell me off about or write in a question or whatever you want, uh, email whatgetscaptured at gmail.com. I will answer your inquiry on the show. Um, so yeah, that's it for me. Uh, thanks very much. Stay safe. Uh, I think this is the last episode before Christmas. So, you know, Merry Christmas and um, yeah, happy holidays. Take it easy, guys.